Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Good morning, people. Hey, you know how the first night we got into groups of three with two questions? And the questions were, anybody? Where are you? you? Yeah. And what do you want? Yeah. The question that God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? The question that Jesus asked the disciples following him on the beach, what do you want? What do you want? Let's revisit those questions this morning, okay? So probably, maybe... Is a different group of three, but grab a couple people around you. And in light of where we've been this weekend, this journey that we've been on, where are you today? As you anticipate going back to your campus, back to your friend groups, back to your classes, sorry about that, tomorrow. Where are you? And what do you want? What do you desire? What has shifted even maybe a little bit this weekend that the Lord's been doing in you that now the Lord wants to do through you, okay? So let's take a few minutes just to unpack those two questions with one another. I'll give you a two-minute countdown. Give each person uh, a couple minutes and uh, go, go, do that. So we started on Friday night with this question. Excuse me. What is your story? I'm afraid the cop's going to kick my butt this morning, so pray for me. What's your story in light of God's epic story, right? Is the gospel actually good news? Yes, it is. What's that mean for us? Like, what are the implications of that for everything in your life? Everything in your relationships, everything in your work, your families? What are the implications for the world? And can we have an ever-expanding vision, not just for our friends, but for the world? Second day, what is your context? What's your place? Who are your people? As you... Imagine yourself going to class. Just imagine yourself working out. Just imagine yourself in your day-to-day. Can we have an ever-expanding vision for the people around us? Can we pray specifically for those that we interact with on a regular basis? For them to come to know Jesus. For us to have opportunities to... Not just share the gospel, although there is a proclamation piece to this, but to live the gospel. To live the gospel in a way that makes people curious. That comes alongside in a way that is really attuning, empathetic. That we become better listeners than we do talkers. That we suspend our need to be right or to convince in order to come under and love. That's the posture of Jesus, which leads us to last night. What is our posture? What is our attitude? How do we think about the world? What is framing our worldview? 
And can we get on top of that a bit? Can we not just consume? Can we actually get upstream? We have this nasty river in our town. It's called the Wabash. It's better than it used to be, but all of the runoff from all of the fields uh, just has a bit of a literal toxic <laughs> ramification for our river. And the river separates Lafayette and West Lafayette. West Lafayette is academia. Lafayette is more blue-collar. So that's a whole other conversation. But if you go upstream on the Wabash, clear to Ohio, it's really clean. <laughs> Down where we are, we used to do baptisms in the Wabash, and you, you would feel it. You, you know, this water is something, but you would, you would feel that water. You know, you thought maybe you would grow another limb or something. It was weird. To get upstream on culture, not just in being responsive or, or reactive is a better word, not just being reactive to our culture, which tends to lead more <clears throat> toward fear. If you, if you see a lot of the polarization in our culture, a lot of that is fear-based, isn't it? So we're going to retract from culture because we don't want to be assimilating, which is true, which is good. But what happens is we have absolutely no impact on culture. So it's not assimilating, it's not just, just, it's not a cultural smoothie where everything is right and good, because it's not. But it's also not pretending that we have the corner market on beauty. It's not just walking away in order to stay safe. There might be a time for that. There might be a time to... Press pause on some friendships. Press pause. But can our posture be one of in it, but not of it? And to think creatively, what's it mean to get upstream? <laughs> to help shape it. To help shape our culture. Whatever culture that you are in, not just this, not just this massive general statement of culture, but your culture's. Pockets of campus that you find yourselves in. How are you shaping that? How are you together shaping that? So one of the prompts for last night was asking the questions, with whom and to whom? With whom and to whom? What is God stirring in you? What is, what is the fire in your bones that you can't just put out? What keeps you up at night in a good way? Not just those tacos, right? It's like, what, what is stirring with you? And then who else shares that vision, that heart, that compassion? So all of that leads into just a fairly quick wrap-up. You're like, oh, I'll believe that when I see it, right? Because this guy talks a lot. But um, what is Jesus up to is our last question. And I really just want to give you three words. Commission, community, I'm sorry, communion, community, and commission. Let's start with communion. Last fall, I was reading through David's life, which is fascinating, and 
and this no-name shepherd boy is chosen by God to lead the people of Israel. And he kills the giant Goliath, and immediately he has celebrity status. He's the talk of the kingdom, which makes the present king, King Saul, really, really jealous. And Saul wants to kill him. And for, so for a decade, David is running for his life. And what to complicate things even further, Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. And Jonathan knows where this is going. He knows that David has been anointed. <clears throat> Excuse me. He knows that Saul's days are numbered. And so he makes a covenant with David and says, Hey, I, whatever happens to me, will you promise to take care of my family? And David said, absolutely. And so both King Saul and Jonathan die in battle, and David takes the throne. And after things settle down a bit, he makes good on his promise. And he, he asks this question, 2 Samuel 9, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left? And there was. Mephibosheth. And he's been in, in hiding in this very, really desolate part of the country. And we're told his backstory that when Saul and Jonathan died, Mephibosheth was quite small. And in all of the chaos, as the nurse was picking him up, she dropped him and broke, maimed both of his legs. And so he, was, he, he couldn't walk. He had no use of his legs. So he is brought, he is carried to the king. And the expectation was when, when a new king came to the throne, any remnants of the old regime had to go. And that was the expectation. Family members are killed, they're imprisoned, and Mephibosheth figured, that's my, that's my fate. So he is carried into the king's court in fear. And instead, David extends mercy and grace in deep kindness. Mephibosheth was given, this disabled member of the enemy's family was invited to the king's table. And it wasn't a, a one-off sign of pity. He was welcomed as a treasured guest. He was honored as a regular, with a regular place at the table. He was given all of his grandfather's land. There was appointed somebody to take care of that land for him. He had been an outcast in hiding, and now he is an adopted member of David's household. He was unable to care for himself, let alone have anything to give to the king, and yet the king vowed to care and provide for him. He had lived a life of fear and pity, and now he is safe and he is honored in the shadow of the king's glory. Do you hear that? Do you hear your story in that? Do I hear my story in that? It's, a, it's figurative to our own. We were enemies. Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, maimed of heart, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though... Granted, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will certainly, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our new wonderful relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Turn to the person to your left and right. Say, you are a friend of God. While we were still sinners. While we were still enemies. While we were helpless. While we were lame and lost, living in fear and shame, the king pursued us and brought us to his table. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. Not religion, not self-sufficiency, not achievement, not rule following, just Jesus. And the realization that we need Jesus, that we have been invited to the table, comes on the heels with the realization that we are starving. We are more sinful, Tim Keller says, we are more, more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and more accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Jesus is the door. And his arms are open wide for you and for I to come into the table of grace. Luke 13, they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table of the kingdom of God. Tim Chester wrote this. Our invitation to the feast of God comes at a price. The precious blood of Jesus' son. We are outsiders, enemies, excluded. But Jesus takes the judgment we deserve. We become He becomes, sorry, the ultimate outsider, pushed out of the world onto the cross. And as a result, we become insiders. We become friends. We become included. And the invitation goes out to all. It's the gospel that creates community. The word communion itself means sharing. It means participation. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, the the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Worship is bringing all that we have before God and allowing that communion, that intimacy, that knowing, that experience, together with our brothers and sisters, to change our life. So let's take communion. In your group of three, I'd like for one of you to pray out loud as you take the bread, the body of Christ, and the cup, the blood of Christ. Psalm 116 says, What can I offer the Lord for all he's done for me? I mean, really. (laughs) 
if if I give him everything that I have and he gives me everything that he has, come on. And then he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will lift up the cup of salvation, a kind of toast to the one who has rescued and called me to his table. Amen? Amen. Listen to this from Isaiah 25. God will throw a feast for all the people of the world. The feast of the finest foods, a feast with vintage wines. A feast of seven courses, a feast lavish with gourmet desserts. And here on this mountain, God will banish the pall of doom hanging over all people. The shadow of doom darkening all nations. Yes, he will banish death forever. And God will wipe the tears from every face and he'll remove every sign of disgrace from his people wherever they are. God says so, so let's celebrate. Let's commune. Second word is community. The reality for us is that we are invited to the table. We are Mephibosheth. We have a place. We belong. We're not outsiders. And we've all felt that, right? Where I went to college in the cafeteria, there was this one long table in the middle. And I I got there uh, one day for lunch, and every seat was filled except one. I said, save that seat for me. I said, yeah, we got you. And so I went and got my tray and sat down. And like the good Christian I am, I bowed my head and closed my eyes to pray. And I opened my eyes, and everybody was gone practical joke it was like 30 people at this table and they all disappeared you know (laughs) so I felt like I had belonged and then I felt like everybody's staring at me because the joke's on me right I guess you have to be there because no one's laughing at this but the reality is that you belong that you have a place at the table and that God puts the lonely in families. I love that. In the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of our isolation, in the midst of our feeling like nobody gets us, no one really cares, in the frustration of reaching out and feeling like nobody's reaching back, in the desire, the longing to be apart, to be included. Most of us know what that feels like. Some of us might still be in that right now. So the really good news is that God puts the lonely in families. But our participation in that is to be that family. Because others of us in this room have tasted it, right? You have tasted community. You've tasted family. We heard testimonies this morning about what that feels like. 
Don't you want that for others? Don't you want others in on that? Don't you want others to have a place at the table? Henri Nouwen said, In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self, in their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. God has, has opened up the guest list, and you're on it. The last will be first, and the first will be last. The good news is that, of the kingdom is that outsiders, the last picked, the poor and the powerless, the lost and lonely, we have a place at the table. We need conversation. We need someone to listen. We need warmth and affection. We need to be needed. We are bent for relationships. We are to, to cultivate and to nurture and to guard and to deepen unity. Because that is what demonstrates God's glory to the world. Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We have this, this unity and this oneness, this Everything we do and think is permeated with oneness, but that doesn't mean that we should all act and speak and be the same. Out of generosity, Paul says, each of us has been given his own gift. We not only have a place at the table, but we have something to bring to the table. Starting with yourself. Not just utilitarian spiritual gifts of what you can do but who you are. And if you're not there, we miss out on something. It's how the world catches a glimpse of God's beauty. It's also a whole new radical way to be society. Above all, 1 Peter 4, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Use whatever gift you've received to serve others, faithfully stewarding God's grace in its various forms. Not only have you been given God, God's grace in its various forms, but we're called to steward it. To be dispensers of grace. How are we dispensing God's grace to one another and to the world. So the table epitomizes God's invitational heart. It, in, it creates spaces of belonging where people experience Jesus and the tangible ramifications of the kingdom. A few years ago, I, I took some students to New Zealand, to Auckland, and um, I took a band over, and so we were playing some coffee shops and some churches. And But there was one place, downtown Auckland, called the Temple Bar. And this was the place to play music. They had, they had bands every night of the week, like two or three bands every night of the week. And so 
So we went in there one afternoon and said, hey, we're in town for two weeks. We're from the States, obviously. You can tell by our accents. Is there, is there any chance we could play? And the guy behind the bar said, you realize we book three months out, right? Three bands a night, seven nights a week, three months out. I said, I thought so. So we turned to leave. He goes, no, 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 we'll make room. Mm. Those are the words. We'll make room. Don't lose the intimacy that you have, the togetherness that you have, the trust that you have. Work hard to maintain that unity and that oneness. But make room. Make space at your table. Don't abandon. (laughs) We want to be missional. Not just coming into the doors, into the table, but back out the doors onto the various streets of the university and workplace and neighborhoods, equipped to come alongside our friends and neighbors, leveraging our gifts and our passions and our friendships and our interests as potential doorways so that others can have a place at the table. And that is the third part, commission. It's not complicated. Love God and love your neighbors. Tim Gombas says, The people of God do not merely possess the message of the gospel. The people of, the God, of, people of God are the message. You don't just, you don't have, just have the, the good news, right? You are the good news. <laughs> Embodying, making manifest the gospel of God's reconciling all things under the lordship of Jesus. 1 John 1, I want to revisit that before we go. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He is the one who is life itself. And it has, he has been revealed to us. We have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we have actually seen and heard so that, not just so our life will go well, but so that you can have fellowship with us, so we can make room at the table. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. And we're writing this so that you may fully share our joy. We're called out of the broken and lost world and we're sent back into the broken and lost world to bring reconciliation and restoration. We are sent, commissioned. So Jesus, it's about 40 days after the resurrection and he's hanging out with his disciples. And the first part of Acts says that he is connecting the dots. Do you remember... When we were in Capernaum, do you remember, do you remember the demoniac? He was crazy, right? 
Do you remember seeing Lazarus walk out of the tomb? What do you think that meant? Let's go back through the Sermon on the Mount. Guys, let's review this. I want, I want this to get into your hearts and into your heads, into your bones. So he spends day after day connecting the dots. And then he says, you will be my witnesses. You will proclaim what you've seen and what you've heard and what you've experienced. And then he says, all authority has been given to me by the Father. So I'm sending you. Go. And that word can actually mean as you go. So commissioned isn't just raising money for a mission trip. It's as you go, as you go to class tomorrow, as you go to the gym, as you go to your Bible study, as you, as you go. As you go, specifically make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach the way that I'm teaching. Connect the dots. So that they will obey these commands that I've given you. This life-giving gospel. And then he says this. Be sure of this. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. And if we could just put a capstone on this whole weekend. That's it. Jesus says, I am with you. with you. We belong at the table. But it's not just coming and going to the table. Everywhere we go, He is. He is with you. His Spirit resides within you. The night before the crucifixion, he tells his disciples, abide, remain in me, let my words remain in you. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything. So don't live apart from me. With me, you will bear fruit. With me, the gospel gets lived out. Abide. I am with you always. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you, Jesus says. So, we can come alongside others with the comfort, with the grace, with the compassion, with the witness that we ourselves have experienced. Once you stand, I want to just <clears throat> pray this benediction kind of word over you as the band comes and lead us into some more singing worship.
communion is that God wants to dwell with us in relationship. Community is that we are God's family, that we share common life together. Commission is as an interdependent Christian community, we are called to make disciples and work for the renewal of all things. But all of that is predicated on the the power and the presence of Jesus. So Paul says this in Galatians, Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let's make sure that we don't just hold this as an idea in our head or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implication in every detail of our lives. One more time. We open our hands. Lord Jesus, we don't want to just hold this as a a sentiment that is fleeting or some sort of academic or intellectual pursuit that keeps us in our heads. But we want to work out the implication in every detail of our lives. And so we surrender. We let loose our grasp of how we think life should go. We let loose our grasp of our own comfort. Even our own story. In order to receive this good news. Lord Jesus, we pray for your glory and for the good of the city and the campus and the world. We would live this out. We can only do that attached to you. So help us abide. We pray that for the glory of Jesus. Amen. encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.